Welcome into the Paul Kuharski podcast. Excited to talk to you today about what's going on with the Tennessee Titans. We're going to talk about their first down offense. Derrick Henry in the Hall of Fame. Play action on offense. Cleveland's tough defense and more. We've got a big sponsorship announcement as well but not before we dive right in. First down passing is a big story for the Titans two games into the season. Single best development, I think, regarding what Tim Kelly's offense is so far. Titans are 50-50 on first down. That's passing percentage up 13%. Everybody hated under Todd Downing how predictable it was that the Titans were going to run the ball 63% of the time. Now it's down to 50% of the time. 68% of the team's passing yards have come on first down, so they've obviously got work to do on second and third down, and that's because two big plays against the Chargers, 70 yards to Traylon Burks, 49 yards to Chris Moore, came on first down. But this is a heck of a start. Um, the Titans seeming determined to do more with Ryan Tannehill and in the passing game on first down. I, I think it's a great sign of what's to come. Takes away what was their most predictable element um, and uh, sets them up for a lot better things. Here's Ryan Tannehill on first down passing game success. Yeah, we want to be efficient, you know, whether it's a run, whether it's a pass. If you can be efficient um, first and second down and keep yourselves in third and manageable, then you're going to uh, create more opportunities to, to extend drives and, and to score points, right? So being in second and long, third and long is, is a tough place to live in this league. You know, you're not going to convert too many third and ten pluses over the course of a season, you know, percentage-wise. So if we can keep ourselves in third and manageable by being efficient on first and second down, that's going to be, obviously, like it is for every team, a big factor in sustaining drives. How enjoyable was it to, to keep looking at – do you look at the board? Do you look at the sticks to know the down? you just know it and to know you were in second and medium or short so often? Yeah, I look at uh, both the combination of the, of the two. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good good place to be, right, because it opens up a lot of your playbook when you're in uh, normal down and distance. You're not in get back on track, and um, you're able to really call anything you want to at that point and not be pigeonholed to, uh, to getting back on track. Look, they're still in a place where, um, and this is early, 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 they're excited to be in first and 10 for starters and not to be in first and 15 or first and 20 or second and 15 or second and, and 20, right? So my wish is an extreme wish, but he talks about third and manageable. And I'd love them to reach a point where they talk about maybe occasionally, occasionally, Skipping third down altogether, getting a first down on first down, getting first down on second down, and and making third down moot sometimes. Um, I'd love to hear something like that from Ryan Tannehill occasionally, something like that from Mike Vrabel, from Tim Kelly. But look, we're early in this, and I know um, they w- they would welcome that if they get that. Like I, I referred already to the two big passes, obviously getting first downs on first downs there. But it's never something they seem to aspire to the way uh, the Chiefs aspire to it, the Rams aspire to it, the 49ers aspire to it. Um, those teams, it seems to me, 
who are more still modern offenses love the idea of of leaving third down off the table never getting into pressure or re- getting into those pressure downs much less often where you've got to convert and certainly where you've got to convert something lengthy to keep a drive going they seek to minimize that but hey like i said we're in the early stages here of uh not taking a second and eight willingly with a two yard first down run. And that is a victory for this offense and the fans of this offense. The Browns have put people in a lot of bad second downs. Um, and that's going to be a challenge this week. Here's Mike Vrabel on that. Trying to gain yards against a good defense, a bunch of good players, um, you know, on the road, just, Making sure that again we're we're staying efficient and, and they they've had a you know, 25 snaps of second and eight or nine plus, which leads to third and ten and third and long. And, you know, guys are talented and playing fast. So just trying to stay ahead of the chains and like we did the other other day. Again, it wasn't perfect, but it was closer to what we looked at look want to look like. Bombs to Burks and Moore skew the small sample size for sure. But uh, Mike Herndon in his piece on Wednesday pointed out that the Titans are at 11.6 yards per attempt on first down, 8.6 yards per play on first down. Those are unlikely to stay that high, but hey, go for it, boys. Keep it up there. Read Herndon's piece from Wednesday for more details on the first down success and the start of Tim Kelly's term as the offensive coordinator. It's always a really good read. This is a very good read about the things that have distinguished Kelly so far. I'm very encouraged by Kelly. I thought in New Orleans when his offense was really struggling, particularly in the past game, he schemed up two plays that should have been long touchdowns that Tannehill overthrew when the receivers were getting no separation. That was big. He came out of that game saying that he admitting, you know, in the second half he would have liked some plays back to have given Derrick Henry more when the snaps were um, out of sync. Uh, when he went too much Spears and not enough Henry. Uh, And then he came back in the second game and their usage was much more equitable. um, It seemed to me. And uh, I I thought he, he had a really nice plan of attack and, and got the, uh, the offense going after a slow start um, against the chargers in a, in a big and much needed win. I think Tim Kelly is uh, is on a really good track, and Herndon offered a lot of, of good evidence why. Another piece at the site this week, and this one uh, is available for everyone to read. I'm sure some of the people who um, were coming at me on Twitter about it did not read the whole piece, which required some understanding of nuance uh, as opposed to just reading a headline uh, where I asked, if uh, if Tajay Spears could have a negative effect, could hinder Derrick Henry's Hall of Fame chance? And I don't think it's an unreasonable question 
at all. It's simple. Derrick Henry needs a good deal more still, not a ton, but a good deal more to, to make a, a solid Hall of Fame case. A lot of people do not want to hear that. But for a running back who's over 30, you want – he's either 29 or 30. You want to compile what you need sooner rather than later. If you say to a running back, do you want these numbers now or do you want a complimentary back in the backfield that might extend your career and get the numbers later – you're going to want the numbers now because there's no guarantee about later the way the league regards running backs now. So there are a lot of very good, very distinct things about Derrick Henry's career in terms of the 200-yard games, in terms of the long runs, in terms of what he did in that playoff run uh, where they went to the AFC championship game. If he hadn't missed the second half of 2021 with the Jones fracture in his foot, he very likely would own the best four-year span in the history of the league in terms of rushing yardage, topping Eric Dickerson, which would be huge. But he missed those eight games, and he doesn't own that record, which sucks. We're in a time where running backs are not viewed as a big ingredient to winning football teams and winning football games. He's not disproved that in terms of, you know, the pinnacle of his career has been an AFC championship game. Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson are coming up with eligibility in 2026 and 2027. After that, he might be the next guy that would have a good argument if he keeps going here for two or three more solid years. I think he needs probably around 12,000 yards. He'll, I would expect, get to 100 touchdowns. Spears has been electric in these first two games, and he's going to take some opportunity away from Derrick Henry. And I think it's reasonable to ask, if that lost opportunity will slow Henry down in his bid for Canton. You can handle that conversation. I swear you can. I promise you can. Many of you have had perfectly reasonable conversations and discussions with me about it, which is good. I wrote a kind of Tuesday think piece about this, considering a whole bunch of variables and options on it. And many of you have made good points, and we've had good conversations on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, and the like. Others have taken their blankie and, and run home. And if, if you're the kind of fan that can't handle a conversation about this with somebody who's got some insight and knowledge about how the process works and how people, other people on the committee judge these things, well... Bye-bye to that crowd. If you can't handle it, take off. I mentioned uh, new sponsorship. You can see I'm going to always point the wrong way. There, up there, Zen Sports is joining me. I, I couldn't be happier. This is, if you're unfamiliar, um, a new way to bet, a, a great app, um, and they're going to have incredible offers. For uh, my membership, 
And then for to lure people into uh, joining paulkuharski.com, just really phenomenal offers. So if you bet online or if you have been tempted to bet online but haven't started betting online, they're going to give you every reason to come and uh, start to bet online uh, in Tennessee um, and, and some other states where you may be where bet betting is legal. Um, they've been phenomenal for me to deal with. They're very interested in tapping into us as a, as a community. And uh, I think you're going to really, really like the things they have in store for us. It's very, very exciting. So stay tuned. I promise you, you're going to be interested in what they have to offer us all and uh, start to uh, share some details on Monday and certainly in next week's podcast. Uh, I appreciate what they've got coming for us very much. Zen Sports, get the app on your phone so that you're ready. Jasper's continues to remain with us as well. Great eating and drinking options on West End Avenue uh, between downtown and Midtown in Nashville. Free parking, free games, great place for a business lunch, family dinner, uh, or uh, a date night with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. I can't recommend it highly enough. Great food. I have a good time every time I am there. I really enjoy not paying to park, um, and it, it's a great location. Make a point of heading there. Recommend the Bolognese or the Cuban sandwich, my two favorites, and I appreciate their loyalty to me. Let's talk about the Titans play action game. Now, again, uh, because of the small sample size, a lot of things are buoyed by these two big plays, the bombs to Burks and to Chris Moore. But the Titans in uh, the Chargers win were seven of nine, Ryan Tannehill was, for 168 yards, with those two big passes being the meat of that. They do so well out of play action, generally speaking, and specifically in this game, that when I see great numbers out of it, and it's only nine passes, which doesn't seem like a, a great amount. I wonder why not more than nine passes. So I asked Mike Vrabel if there's uh, a cap on it. Um, and I don't know if I have that, but then I talked to uh, Ryan Tannehill about, no, here's Mike on play action. Sorry. Well, I think it's about timing and picking and choosing your spots and, um, you know, getting a rhythm and, and a feel for, you know, when, when pressure, you know, may come, sometimes some of those run actions, um, you know, the, pre the, the protection could be stressed based on a, a pressure uh, or look that, that you get. So sometimes we get out of it, but, um, you know, I don't think that there's a, a cap. You know, you just want to be, you know, balanced and, and be able to, to pick and choose your spots. And, and we were able to, to hit a couple of them the other day. Well, it's hard to drop back and, you know, just straight drop back in this league and, and protect um, against some of the, the rushers that we've seen early in, in, the, in the first couple of weeks, and that'll be the same uh, this week. You know, so staying out of those down and distances where, you know, you got to get a bunch of people out or you got to get a certain depth. 
So I think that that's uh, probably the, the case throughout the week. You know, just looking at Cleveland, that's that's something that they like to do. You know, with Deshaun, you know, play action, sometimes move the pocket. Um, so yeah, just trying to trying to mix it up and, and trying to get, be able to create some some double teams inside or some combination blocks uh, on some of those interior guys, and then you know get a couple hands on the on the edge rushers. Struck as an aside as I listened to that for third or fourth time. And he's talking again about the down and distances and, you know, hinting at, you know, they don't want to be in these troublesome down and distances. They get in these troublesome down and distances with these pre-snap penalties, false starts against a guy like Trevon Wesco, and with these holds, especially early down holds that put them in. These seem eminently controllable. Certainly the pre-snap stuff is, and there've been too much false starting by players of not a high caliber whose contribution, Trevon Wesco, is doing okay blocking, drops a pass, and, and has a couple of false starts, which are the most noteworthy things, right? The blocking is a quiet job that doesn't get you a ton of credit. That's the nature of his position. But when you draw attention to yourself with the false starts and the drop, then everybody inherently starts to think you're not doing a good job. Everybody in the fan community, a lot of media, starts to think you're not doing a good job blocking, even if you are. And he's done okay blocking uh, for sure. Um, and the holds with with offensive linemen who are uh, wind up overmatched or are not good enough and so based on talent selection or on guys not being able to stick to their technique the titans end up in these poor down and distances which throw the whole offense off which they're constantly referring to and so instead of what i was referring to earlier with the great first down passing um and instead of being able to talk about that so commonly they talk about first and 15 as if they're in it way more often than they are in it. Cause they're so, they're so scared of it because when it happens, they know what a drive killer it is and it produces such a problem for them. They've got to get beyond that where they're not talking about it as such a massive constant work seems like an elemental thing. Of course, problems are going to arise at times, but they're arising too often when you're always on high alert for these bad down and distance scenarios. And they seem like they're always on high alert for the bad down and distance scenarios that, that answers that don't, to questions that don't ask about that bad down and distance scenarios often include questions that don't include that off. The answers often include mentions of those things. I'm just noticing that and thinking of that now it's rather, uh, it's both annoying and it's sad. Too much of that. So, A, they got to stop doing them, and B, they got to stop presuming 
that they've got a larger share of them almost than they actually have. Back to the play action. Talk to the coach about it. Let's hear from the quarterback on on it and what stops them from maybe doing it more when they're so good at it. A lot of things go into that, you know, um, defenses that they're playing, coverages, pressures, um, how we feel about the different protections that we're running, uh, the route concepts with the, the coverages that we're getting. You know, you have a plan going into the game, and then you're trying to figure it out as the game goes on, like what you're seeing primarily, and, and make adjustments from there. All right, fair. Um, you know, and, and nine is not a, as small a number necessarily as I'm making it out to be when Tannehill had – 24 dropbacks in the game. Um, but, and they certainly made the most out of them, right? So if you're doing nine and 24 dropbacks and you're getting a 70 yard bomb and a 49 yard bomb, I, I applaud it. I hope the success rate continues. They're very good at it. Keep it up, is, is what I would say. Last week, I talked uh, defensively about how. It doesn't matter if you've got the best run defense on the planet if you're going to give up all these explosive plays in the passing game. And we saw glimpses of that again um, as the Titans didn't see Austin Eckler. They're not going to see Nick Chubb. They're going to go three games, no Kamar, Alvin Kamara, no Austin Eckler, no Nick Chubb. How much can they limit the, the chunk plays? The Chargers got some. The Browns need to not get enough to, to throw the game off. But one of the things I suggested in the what's been the failure of, of the Titans formula where they're going to make you one-dimensional, not let you run the ball, then rush the passer and, and kind of um, squash you as you're one-dimensional passing, but you're making all these X plays, which makes all of it moot, was the idea that they – they need to get at least one elite corner in the defensive backfield to really help the cause back there. And they've struck out in their attempts to get that guy through the draft, right? Fulton in and out of the lineup with the hamstring and can be very good, but is not elite. McCreary, good player, but not elite. Farley, a complete strikeout. Molden third round contributor and nickel and dime, but not that level. They don't have that singular guy. But that's thinking about this now, looking ahead at who they have. Quarterbacks they're going to face the rest of the way. Joe Burrow, the best one coming up in two weeks, but he's not playing very well right now. To me, uh, Tua playing great. Tongue of Aloha uh, playing great. Might, might, you know, you can argue he's the best one. I, I got him second on my list. They see him later in the season. <clears throat> I'd put Trevor Lawrence third. They'll see him twice. Lamar Jackson fourth. Geno Smith fifth. And then you've got two with Anthony Richardson, who doesn't worry me. I don't think he's going to beat you. Ritter is not going to beat you, you know, like by himself. Pickett. No, Mayfield, no, Bryce Young, no, and two with Stroud, no. So there's a lot of quarterbacks there that you don't worry about doing the things that that were done to you by Herbert 
in a pinch there. But Derek Carr, I would have said the same thing about. So now you got to go to receivers also, right? Um, you know, uh, this week you're going to see um, a, a couple good ones. Then Jamar Chase and T. Higgins as a pairing, a problem. Michael Pittman, you'll see twice. He can be a problem. Zay Flowers still developing, but can can certainly envision him giving the Titans a problem. George Pickens is up and comer, can be a problem. Mike Evans certainly can be a huge handful for the Titans, no matter who's delivering him the ball. Calvin Ridley twice uh, can be a problem. Tyreek Hill um, and company in Miami uh, certainly can be a problem. Nico Collins don't laugh. Um, he's off to a heck of a start for Houston. Now, Houston throwing the ball a lot late, I imagine, in, in losing two games by significant margins, but he's fifth right now in the league in receiving yards, and they'll see him twice. And then the Seattle tandem of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So they are going to see uh, maybe not the best list of quarterbacks but, um, you know, two of the quarterbacks that aren't good to me, Richardson and Mayfield, come with uh, receivers in Pittman and certainly Mike Evans, who can do some damage. Titans have to buckle down that secondary. And then, you know, are we going to see Fulton and Hooker in and out of the lineup, in and out, in and out? Uh, you know, Hooker missed about half the season last year and and we know Fulton's track record and when he has a hamstring after he changed his training regime last year and he misses the second game with a hamstring already I just don't know how dependable you could expect that guy to be interesting side note here my kid plays a lot of video games like any 13 year old and uh, he was on the phone while he was playing with his buddy Bennett the other day. My son, Simon, was playing with a female character in Fortnite. And uh, so I, I was talking with him and with Bennett, who was on the speakerphone, and Bennett was also playing with a female character. And I asked them how often they play with female characters, and they said about half the time. I think a lot of the female characters in the game are very cool. I just found that interesting in that, you know, I don't know that – I wasn't a big video game guy – but I don't know that a generation ago there were a lot of female character options available um, or that a lot of teenage boys would have been inclined to pick female characters had they been available. So there's a spot that I don't think there's been like some huge push for teenage boys to pick female characters. And it's just kind of taken off. I think that's kind of cool. And staying in that vein, I um, asked the private Facebook group for a couple questions for this podcast, and two of our female members stepped up. Mindy Cunningham Parr said, what are the players saying about the new field? Look, I think some of them think it's fast, so there's a benefit to the field being fast. But nobody prefers the, the new field to the old field. Even, even the old field when it's bad. I mean, it's universally held that players prefer grass to turf. Players prefer bad grass to the best turf. 
And so, um, you know, the, the NFL keeps kind of two-siding this thing. It's like some of the bad political stuff that goes on in our country where we two-side things that don't really have two sides. The NFL keeps saying, you know, well, we're working on the safest thing for, for both. And our biggest concern is that we have the, uh, you know, safety down on, uh, on both. You know, there's, there's good features about both. Well, sure, there's good features about both. The good features of the, of the turf fields are not as good safety-wise as the good features about grass. The only rationale here for um, – for the Titans is, you know, they're talking about, and they talked about a couple non-contact uh, ACL bats and was one of them. I can't remember who the other one was uh, in the same game. Might've been Farley. Um, but, you know, look, they're trying to be good citizens. It's easier for them to hold more concerts and more other events in the stadium if there's turf in there. And they're a couple of years, a few years away from being a turf team anyway um, when they move into their indoor venue. So getting a couple of years head start isn't, you know, life altering. They would say now you hope it's not life altering to a guy that shreds a knee or an Achilles or, you know, has his foot stop and, and breaks a leg or, or whatever. But I think, Fans prefer the game on grass. Players prefer the game on grass. The people that don't prefer the game on grass are owners for financial reasons. Um, cities who are invested in stadiums who could get more events in there, which is for financial reasons. And um, it, it's it's that simple, really. Kim Hillsman Dunaway, hi, Kim, said Jason Fitz was saying part of the reason Deshaun Watson is so bad this year is because their new offense is a lot of play action versus shotgun, which he prefers. How did this, how does this bode for the Titans defense? Are they more effective against play action or shotgun? I don't have numbers that tell me which they're more effective against, but play action, as we saw that the, the Titans use it is, uh, effective at slowing down a rush, generally speaking. Now, Mike Vrabel spoke about it earlier in this podcast. You, you have to hit it right, you know, against the, uh, you know, the right personnel package and the right defensive set. But play action's design is to make a defense hesitate at coming towards the quarterback because it thinks run. And so people have to pause for a moment however small to make sure it's not run and that slows down what's coming at the quarterback. So play action should have some bearing on the Titans good pass rush if it's done well. And, you know, there's been a lot of evidence over time. You don't have to be running the ball well for play action to have an effect. I've always, you know, and I've written about this, a couple of times over my career, I've always said to, you know, linebackers, if you're playing Peyton Manning and, you know, why wouldn't you just go if there's potential for it to be passed and suffer the consequences of uh, why? I mean, why wouldn't you just stay and, and get to the run a little late 
if there's a good chance or or if you think there's a chance it's pass, play pass and go to the run late as opposed to play run and be late reacting to the pass. It seems to me in that equation, you'd come out ahead in the long run. But everybody says it's, it's, not, it's not possible and it's not how it works. So we'll see how that plays out for the Titans uh, in play action. Cleveland's defense, let's flip to the other side of the ball, is allowing a completion percentage of 475 so far this season, which is fantastically low. Tannehill's going to have to do better than that uh, for the Titans to have a chance in this game. Here's Tannehill talking about Cleveland's defense. Fast physical defense. You know, you see them flying around, uh, aggressive, penetrating f- uh, front. Uh, their D-line is strong. Obviously, we know their edge players and, and the talent that they have out there. Their, their inside guys are, are penetrating as well, just being disruptive. Their backers are flying around. They're playing extremely fast, uh, seeing what's going on quickly, uh, diagnosing it, and, uh, and playing physical and fast. Uh, secondary, uh, they're doing a good job of getting their hands on footballs and, and being in good spots. They have talent out there. So you look across the board, I have a ton of respect for this defense and, and what they can do. Obviously, Coach Schwartz was here and um, just a great coach and been around a long time, done a lot of good things over the course of, of his career. So um, ton of respect for what they're doing right now. We're going to have to play well. Lip service like this every week about an opponent. So well, this is not surprising. But the Browns are really playing great defense under Jim Schwartz. They're second overall. They're tied for third against the rush. They're tied for second against the pass. They're first on third down. They're second in points allowed. Right? They played the Bengals, who are struggling out of the gate, but part of the reason they're struggling is because Cleveland gave them a really tough game. Um, and uh, they played Pittsburgh tough. You know, Pittsburgh's defense did a lot of the winning there. This is not the Chargers by any means. Schwartz has been a good coordinator here in Buffalo and Philadelphia, had some success in Detroit, a tough place as a head coach. He's got some insight into Tennessee personnel, though a lot of it has changed. He knows Tannehill. He knows Henry. He knows Burks. He knows Nick Westbrook-Akine. He knows Chig. He knows Brewer. He knows Raidens. That's a pretty decent collection of guys to know. Now, there are enough new guys here that he doesn't know. He knows Vrabel. He knows Kelly and Dews, offensive coordinator and tight end coach, but he doesn't know them in those roles. Um, and he knows Rob Moore, the wide receiver coach, in in that role. It's a new offensive system, sure. But he he's not just about the people he knows. He's a, a, a good coordinator, can assess a team, tendencies, talent, and, and fare well at taking things away, at forcing certain things to happen that, that aren't that team's strength. And, uh, you know, I certainly fear that he'll be good at doing that against the Titans if, if you're looking for the Titans to have success. I think there's going to be a big challenge for the Titans. Now, they may suffer a letdown, um, the Browns, you know, on a short week recovering from, from Nick, Nick Chubb going down with injury. But I do think this. I think that there is a good chance that the Cleveland Browns of 2023 look a lot like the Titans of 2021 
when Derrick Henry went down at the midpoint of that season, the Titans said, we're not going to change our identity. And it seemed laughable, right? But they, they brought in two guys in Foreman and Hilliard and they went forward. And in fact, they did not change their identity and they ran very effectively as, as if Henry was still there. They didn't have the home run threat, but they got going. The Browns are built to run. Got a good offensive line. They lost Jack Conklin. Yeah, but their mentality and their talent is built to run. And I won't be surprised, and maybe it won't show up this week, if they plug in their guys, Kareem Hunt's coming. I don't know what he'll be able to do this week as the, as the second back. But they put their two guys in there, and and I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Stefanski refers behind the scenes to them, to the 2021 Titans and says they lost their bell cow and look at what they did. And we've lost ours and we're going to do the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they do it. Uh, now Titans, good run stopping team. I don't think that's how they'll lose this game if they lose this game, but I do think season's not over for the Browns given this injury. We'll finish with this. You know who the Titans' backup long snapper is? A lot of people presume Morgan Cox's backup is Aaron Brewer, the center. But uh, a shotgun snap and a long snap are not that closely related. And it is not, in fact, Aaron Brewer. It is inside linebacker Jack Gibbons. This is interesting to me. It's a small nuance. You hope Jack Gibbons is never in position to have the long snap for the Titans. But in case he is, we should get to know him about him and why he has this role. So we chatted with him. Yeah, I mean, I started long snapping in high school. Uh, I did, like on JV, I snapped some field goals and stuff, but was never even like a guy doing it. But it's something I said I could do when I was in college too, just kind of trying to create as much value for yourself as you can. So I've always practiced it. Said the kind of same situation here, just as like, hey, I have some experience doing it, so I've been working it. Um, and yeah, now that I'm on the depth chart as a backup long snapper, I definitely work it every day. You just never know what's gonna happen. Just be ready to step in there if we needed it. Where do you sneak it in? Do you, do you I usually get it before practice, get before some practice. snaps in, yeah. Do you, do you do it with Stonehouse or? Yeah, Stonehouse or wherever I can uh, rope into catching the ball for me. But <laughs> so how many how many do you try to get in? And I... I mean, just until I feel comfortable, just make sure I get, I mean, five, ten good ones, and then get a few field goal snaps. Just you never know when when that's going to come up in a game. Like uh, Coach Rabel brought it up for Week One last year. The Bengals had a game-winning field goal, and their long snapper was down, and they had a, a guy have to step in there. So just want to be ready if that situation arises. So you got no worries if you got called on. I mean, I'll probably be a little bit nervous, but I think we could get it done. <laughs> so this demanded that I go around the corner to Gibbons' mentor, the one and only Morgan Cox, to get a review of what kind of snaps we would see if, for some reason, Cox was unable to do his job. Uh, he's doing great. He's making great strides from when, from when we started, uh, giving him little tips tips and tricks here and there um kind of coaching them on how i do things and um you know just kind of helping them avoid the pitfalls it's important that you not get hurt 
is is the fundamental <laughs> sure. thing with long snapping. Sure. Right? When you've got I a have top flight long snapper. I've torn uh, both my ACLs in games. Uh, once my rookie year, and once my fifth year. This is not what people want to be reminded of. Here. No, they don't. But uh, you know, I've got two new knees now. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, um, but no, it, it's an important thing, you know, because um, in the NFL, so many games are are decided within, you know, one score, and so you need that you need that extra edge to be able to um, win games in the end. When did you first learn that Jack had any experience and was a guy who could do it? He started working on it last year. Um, you know, it's one of those things you add add tools to the toolbox. And uh, he's done a great job, you know, being consistent with it. I think that's where he is right now. He's going out there and, and getting some reps early in practice. Uh, that way, you know, uh, if he gets called upon, he's ready to go. So it's one of these skills in this toolbox that mm -hmm. we hope is always kept in the bubble. Over there. No question. Yeah, I remember my uh, rookie year, Willis McGahee was my backup. <laughs> uh, you might remember Willis from uh, his Miami days and his long career in the NFL. But uh, when I got hurt... <laughs> He, uh, he came over to me, and I could kind of see a little bit of the panic in his eyes. I was like, oh, am I really going to have to do this? But I ended up finishing the game, and um, it's a good story now. So he never? He never had to do it. But uh, we practiced him a little bit in, in, in practice and everything. But fortunately for him, he never had to go and execute it in the game. We all would have loved to have seen Willis McGahee long snap, right? At the same time, raise a glass to Morgan Cox's health because I don't think any Titans person wants to see Jack Gibbons long snap in a game. Stay tuned for details on the new partnership with Zen Sports. It's going to be really exciting. It's going to be a great offer for you that is going to change your online betting life. It's going to be terrific. Really excited for that. Appreciate Jasper's continued support as well. And I send you out, as always, with a warning. Don't block the box, but be sure, please, please, to lock your rocks. <laughs>